Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I moved into the new place, but everything is still completely in disarray. So I don't have a backdrop yet. I don't know if I'm going to have one for the weeklies. I might just have one for the special features. I don't know. Um, but hopefully the audio and video still looks okay. And I do have a lot of very cool stuff to talk about. So let's jump right in. Professor Abrasive just posted for the first time in a while regarding his Satiator, the Sega Saturn SD plug and play solution. And basically, he had trouble with the CPLD, the main brain behind it, was going end of life. So he needed to find a replacement that's going to be in stock for quite some time. So he was able to redo the board and get a replacement chip on there. So it looks like things are back on track, but that was a pretty big speed bump. There was a bunch of other things that he talked about. So if you're a Patreon subscriber of his, you can go check out the update. And I'll let everybody know when there's any major updates or if there's any uh, pre-orders coming Although I probably at this point would expect that minimum six months, but that's just my guess. Uh, you know, for all I know, something will pop up sooner. There's a few updates regarding Cricks and his products. First up, the new D-pads are in for the Joys controllers, so anybody that orders one from now on will get them with the properly aligned D-pad. And anybody that has one of the original batches with the misaligned D-pad can just submit a form through the contact page, and he'll send you a replacement one for free. Now, there's been mixed reviews about some people said that they thought that it affected gameplay and other people said they thought it was just aesthetics. But either way, if you are unhappy with it and interested in the D-pad replacement, you can get one for free. Um, next up, uh, Crix has let everybody know that the final version of the EverDrive uh, N8, which is the Nintendo and Famicom EverDrive, the final version of the 2.0 uh, firmware software should be ready in about three to four weeks. In the current beta, they actually made some test software and tested the sound output on an oscilloscope so that they're able to match the output to exactly what it was on the original Famicom disk system in Famicom, which is pretty awesome because the version 2.0 beta so far adds a ton of features completely for free. So that's, a, in my opinion, a pretty huge deal because a lot of other manufacturers could have very easily just put out a new hardware version of the product but not Cricks. He just did all this firmware and gave it to everybody. So a uh, huge thank you to him for doing that. And finally, if anybody was having a strange issue with um, uh, artifacts on the screen, graphical artifacts using their PC Engine or TurboGrafx-16 while using the Turbo EverDrive, you might want to check out the forum that's been posted on, uh, or the thread on the Cricks forum. Uh, apparently there's a few scenarios where there actually is an issue with the Turbo EverDrive. Now, it's my opinion, and I don't have a ton of experience with TurboGrafx stuff, but it's my opinion that most of the time in these cases, it's console-related, especially if there's an RGB mod done to it. Um, you might want to check out the voltage regulator on the inside, and of course your power supply, because those things do age and start to fail at some point. 
But if you're one of the few people that are having the same graphical issues as everybody in this thread, just contact Crix directly and he might be able to have it fixed for you. A team of people are currently working on an Alex Kidd and Miracle World remake with updated graphics and animations, and it looks pretty cool. I always have mixed feelings about remakes because sometimes you don't really want to mess with the classics, but in the case of A Dragon's Trap, you took a game that was great, but 30 frames per second, and some of those Master System graphics aged really well and others didn't. So having an update like this on modern consoles might be an improvement, and at the very least you could reach a newer audience that might not have the older consoles or the ability to play them. But either way, I really like to see remakes like this, rather than people that just stick those uh, compilation ROM collections together. Because while some of those have some pretty cool features to them, a lot of them have basically just been emulators on a disc stuck into a new console. So if anybody's interested, the uh, link to the Twitter timeline is down below, and I'll definitely be following progress on this. A team of people on the SMS Power Forums have figured out a way to get high fidelity audio through a Sega Master System. They've posted descriptions and tools if you want to try it yourself, as well as a few file samples to download if you'd like to hear the results. And they do have a video up on YouTube, but don't forget compression, streaming, there's always issues on YouTube. So if you're interested, I recommend checking out the forum post. Firebrand X has found the fix for the SSDS3 audio issues. He had built an audio probe and gone down the line from the time the audio entered the device until he heard the buzzing and found out that the problem is with the op amp, the audio amp circuit itself. There's actually a few issues with it. First of all, they're using a four channel amp on a two channel circuit, which normally that isn't a big deal, except they left the two extra channels floating, which can cause a hum and affect the buzz sound that people were hearing. Also, a few of the pull down resistors were missing, but that's not as big a deal as the main problem he found in that the decoupling capacitor was actually missing from one of the resistors. Just by adding this capacitor alone has fixed 90 to 99% of some of the buzzing and some of the audio issues that people were hearing. So that's pretty great news for anybody that already owns one because it's a pretty cheap and easy fix. Um, also, it's good to solder it as close to the resistor as possible, but if you're uncomfortable soldering to such a small space, uh, Terra Onion has actually acknowledged the issue and put up a guide of their own for people that want a different place to solder it that's not as hard to get to. Um, and they've also announced that any products from here on, or any of their SSD S3s from here on, will ship with this capacitor on it, but not any of the other fixes. Uh, so I'd like to talk about the other fixes next, but I do want kind of a, a call to arms at the moment, if you will. Um, Firebrand X has a Patreon, and he's been donating a lot of his time to this stuff, but he is missing one valuable tool, an oscilloscope. So I'm going to be upping my Patreon pledge this month to 30 bucks, um, and then next month I'll have to drop it back down. I'm sorry, dude. I, I wish I was a rich man that could afford to, to give everybody everything I had, but... Uh, I would really like to ask that if anybody follows his work and benefits from all the things that Firebrand X does, maybe you would also consider bumping it up just for one month to hopefully get enough to get him an oscilloscope so that we could start doing extra things uh, and really also making some of his work easier. Uh, while using the audio probe for this was probably the coolest and best way to do it, being able to verify with the scope is pretty, uh, is pretty awesome and would really solidify all the findings. So there's a link to his Patreon in the description. Please consider at least just for this month bumping it up one, uh, getting him enough cash to get a, a scope, and then bumping it back down to whatever your normal amount was. 
So, um, you know, once again, I wish I was rich enough to just send him a scope, but that's just not the way the world works, I guess. So maybe we could all chip in, get him a scope, and uh, have some of this awesome findings keep coming our way. Some more SSD S3 news. Voltar has found what he thinks is the fix for the RGB bypass on the SSD S3. He wants to stress that it might be the fix because he only has a few turbo graphics or PC engines to test on, and there are many different revisions. But he wanted to put this up on OSH Park for anybody who wants to make them. Uh, he's not charging for the boards at all. He just wants to do, uh, just give this back to the community, uh, which I think is really awesome because he spent a lot of time researching and testing this stuff. Uh, and I guess he just really felt bad that people have to deal with a flawed product and wanted to see if he could help in his own way. So thank you very much to Voltar for donating this board to people. Um, if you have the ability to make these, I suggest trying it on your SSD S3 and reporting back to see if it's a 100% fix, you know, a 90% fix, whatever it is. And just uh, if you can get board revision and what console revision, that way people will know which, uh, which consoles this has the most effect on. There's some bad news involved in this, though, in that Terra Onion has once again confirmed that they will not be doing another revision of the SSD S3 board. So up until this point, right, they had a, you know, a launch issues, which, you know, that happens to that happens to everybody. I wasn't happy with how they handled it, but at the end of the day, they are offering replacements for people with version one. It's fine. Uh, version two is out and it still has issues, which some people might say, hey, it's good enough. Other people might not. Whatever. That's up to you. But what my question is now for anybody that was on the fence about buying one. How do you feel about this? How do you feel that there's a company selling a product for a lot of money? And it should be a lot of money. It's a lot of work. This isn't a basic board. This is a complicated thing that should be expensive. But the bottom line is, how do you feel about buying something for a lot of money that the developers know there's problems, have fixes, and are refusing to do it? Um, you know, every time I talk about these guys, I get a ton of emails from people saying it's off-putting and you know, some people have accused me of lying. And I got to be honest, it, the, what they say is true. Truth is stranger than fiction. Some of the ways they've handled this stuff is kind of mind-blowing to me, and I'm really not understanding where they're coming from. Uh, I do understand getting emotional and being at wit's end and saying something like, that's it, it's the last version, I can't take it anymore. And when they said that in April, I kind of hoped that that's what they meant. Uh, I've been there before, I've said stuff like that. But they just this weekend, after both Firebrand X confirmed the audio, um, Ace has suggested a new circuit design for the op amp, and Voltar has fixed the video circuit. Uh, still are refusing to do an updated board. So um, once again, if this was a cheap product, which I don't think it can be, I think it, the way this is built, it actually has to be expensive. So I'm not, I'm not shitting on them for their price, but if it was a cheap product, I would be on the team of, hey, buy this thing, use it, enjoy it, and if you're a perfectionist, make the upgrades. But you're buying a high-end, expensive product that is flawed, and they're refusing to fix it. So uh, go right ahead and, uh, you know, hate mail me again all you guys want, but I am just telling you what they have been telling other people. So it's very strange to me, and I, none of it really makes sense. Wardy just installed and tested a flex adapter for the N64. His flex adapter has a few purposes. First, it allows you to install both an Ultra HDMI and his N64 RGB kit a bit easier. And it also includes resistors right on the flex cable itself, 
which in his testing has reduced some of the crosstalk and some of the ground loop noise. Um, he had purposely installed it with very long wires on it just to show that, um, just to try to create more interference to see if it helps, and it definitely did. So I'm not sure if these will be available anywhere, but uh, hopefully they'll either be available for sale or a design up soon, because this seems like a really great way to, um, uh, to do any of your N64 RGB installs. Someone has created a mod for the Sega Saturn light gun. It's a 3D printed design that allows you to replace the trigger with an arcade micro switch, which makes for a lot more accurate shooting and improves the feel of the gun as well. Um, I actually ordered a few to test myself because I do love Virtua Cop and some of the Sega Saturn light gun games. And I did always kind of find the trigger to be mushy, I guess is the best way to describe it. So I'll report back when they come in, but uh, I'm excited to try it out and I, I kind of like stuff like this. Um, I always liked the feel of arcade light guns, so being able to get that at home or at least one step closer to it would be pretty cool. GameTech has opened pre-orders on Ultra HDMI kits. He actually opened them last week, and they're almost all sold out already. So if you were looking to purchase one of these things, I would jump on it right away, because they might be sold out within a day or two of this airing. Um, the kits will ship as soon as they come in, which the last time was about four months. Now, Marshall said he was trying to speed up the delivery on these, so if you pre-order today, you could probably expect about three months, which isn't too terrible. Uh, you know, it's a pretty complicated thing to produce. But if you're gaming on a flat screen TV, the Ultra HDMI is an absolutely amazing choice. Um, I, I couldn't possibly recommend, recommend it anymore for flat screen gamers. And if you were on the fence about getting one, maybe just pick one up because I really doubt you would be disappointed. Artemio had sent me something pretty cool that I wanted to share. It's not quite retro gaming related, but close. There's a team of people out there looking to take laser disc players and get the raw data right off of the laser discs themselves. So they had built a few different revisions of the board. Um, everything's open sourced and out there. And it's basically so that you could get the raw data as it's read for people that want to do things like uh, copy laser discs, archive them. And I think stuff like this is really important. While most things that were available on laser disc are available in better formats, I know certain analog nuts will probably want to backhand me for saying better formats, but there are things that just, you know, they've rescanned 35 millimeter to high def and it looks amazing. But there are a few things that either look more original on Laserdisc or just aren't available anywhere else. And while there are conversions, people have done Laserdisc to digital, stuff like this, both archiving the original and taking it and doing a new digital reprocessing of it would be really helpful for anybody it's really into all this stuff. Um, you know, there are movie nerds just like there are retro gaming nerds that do the exact same things that we do, but with movies. So anybody interested in this, follow the links down below, and um, maybe at some point in the future I'll have time to look into it. But I thought that was very cool. Engadget just did an interview with the creator of Super Meat Boy, and he goes into detail about how the new game is going to be an endless runner, but that's in the same style of the original, because he really felt like most people wanted to just play the game on mobile devices. So if anybody that's interested in the sequel, definitely check out the video and the interview. Prototypes of the Sentinel Supergun have been posted on forums, and while they're not ready for sale yet, there are some details about them. They're going to be $70 for just the Supergun board itself, or $130 for the full kit with all the adapters that you'd need, which I think is probably a good buy. 
Um, in regards to the quality of it, the person who's creating it said that his opinion is that the supergun is beyond that of similar units, but beneath that of the home arcade supergun, the HAS. So a middle ground product, which I think is great and something that's really needed in the community. The home arcade supergun is great and it's been, uh, it's been talked about by Smoke Monster for a long time. And if this is a, a comparable mid-grade solution, I think this absolutely has a place for it and I'm looking forward to try both of them. So I'll let everybody know when they're officially up for uh, pre-order or just for sale. And hopefully by the end of this year, I'll actually have some videos comparing different super guns and uh, showing on a scope why, which are, why the better ones are so. Console 5 just announced that they now have stock of high quality console plugs. So not the multi-out ports, but the actual plugs that go into them. Um, and they have stock of Super Nintendo, Wii, and Sony for the PlayStation line. So if you were looking to make your own cables for those consoles, you could definitely pick them up from there. Uh, making your own cables is a gigantic pain, but uh, sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do. Retro Gaming Cables in the UK has received stock of their custom Dreamcast connectors, and they still need to make sure that they pass their own Q&A testing, but the end goal is to have a cable released with a switch on it that's between 480p and 240p 480i modes. So this is actually going to be a SCART, switch, or a SCART cable that just goes directly into the Dreamcast and uh, outputs RGBS no matter what. So this is cool for people that already have existing setups that don't want to try to integrate VGA in, but it's also great for people that use RGB monitors that only have RGBS inputs. So for example, the Sony BVM D series does accept 480p, but not RGBHV, not a VGA connector. So something like this uh, could be helpful for everybody. So as soon as they're released, I'm definitely gonna buy one and do some comparison tests and post all the pics. Someone on eBay is now selling custom input cards for certain JVC, Panasonic, or Ikegami monitors. These are cards meant for monitors that only shipped with composite video input cards, and the RGB cards are either very expensive or hard to find. I haven't tested any of these myself, and I actually don't even have that much experience with JVC RGB monitors, but if you've used this card before, maybe let people know down in the comments, uh, and that way we could uh, know people's opinions on it. I'd like to try one of these out myself at some point, as well as some of those obscure RGB monitors, and I'd also love to see something like this come to Sony monitors. I know that's pretty much impossible because Sony had a lot of proprietary stuff on their input cards, but who knows what the future will bring. So hopefully this card is as high quality as people have told me it is, and now there would be more options for RGB people who have JVC monitors. Someone has cloned the GDMU, and then another store is selling it for even more than the original. So I'll step through this really quickly just because uh, I don't want it to get confusing, but the GDMU is an optical drive emulator for the Dreamcast. Basically, replace your CD-ROM drive with an SD card and play all your games from that. It's $150 US and notoriously out of stock. In fact, the Retro Roundtable and I all even discussed this in detail last year, and I was of the mindset that as soon as you had enough funding, they should have just made it in bulk and uh, been able to get one to everybody that wants one and even make a little bit more profit because they'd be cheaper to make. The other side of the Retro Roundtable, all of the other guys pretty much ganged up on me and reminded me that uh, just because you can make and sell them doesn't mean you have the ability to support them. So if this is a small group of people, maybe they don't have the means to support a thousand units sold right away. 
which is understandable. So there's still that debate, you know, do you, you know, do you just sell them and get people what they want? Do you continue to make people wait? Whatever it is, uh, inevitably something like this is going to get cloned, reverse engineered or whatever. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I guess people were tired of waiting and somebody reverse engineered it and is selling it on a Chinese store for just about half price. Now, supposedly this device works just as good as the original and could even support the GUI menus. It just can't be updated with a newer firmware because uh, it uses a different chip on it. Now, normally I would never talk about a clone product like this because it's amazingly disrespectful to the team behind the GDMU, and I certainly don't recommend that anybody buy this, except I had to tell that to come to this point. Another store is actually selling the clone and they're selling it for more than the GDMU. And on top of that, they're doing shady things like, I believe they're using Greg's open source 3D print design as one of the add-ons without ever uh, talking about the open source design. And that's one of the rules is you have to post when, uh, on your sale page that where you got these products from. From the other side of that, it's actually great that somebody's manufacturing um, some of the awesome open source 3D printed designs, but you have to go back and tell where you got it from. On top of all that, they pretty much admit that this is a clone. Uh, it says right here, this GDMU is not an official release. So they're not even hiding the fact that they're reselling the clone for more than the original. So I just really felt that it was necessary to get this out there. Uh, I, I think it's terrible that somebody would do this. You know, Chinese clones are one thing. It's almost become just acceptable. I don't like it. I'm sure none of my friends who make products would like it. Uh, I, I know friends who have their products cloned down to the revision number. The PCB even has the revision number on it. And it just... Uh, it's frustrating and annoying and people lose money and uh, lose a lot of excitement towards making products when it gets stolen. Um, but something like this is above and beyond terrible. So maybe I'm missing something, but I doubt it. I think this is just as bad as it seems. I think somebody really is just reselling the, the Chinese knockoffs for a lot more than the original and including stuff, uh, including cool stuff without um, crediting the original people who, don't, uh, who developed it. So all in all, a shitty situation, um, and sucks that stuff like this has to happen. The Spitfire JAMA Rapid Fire Adapter is back up for sale. It's kind of a mouthful. Uh, basically, it's an adapter that atta attaches to your JAMA arcade harness that allows for auto fire, which is really helpful for certain shmups games where you really got to just press the button every second. Um, there's a few other rapid fire modules out there, but this is just another one that I wanted to, to let people know is going back up for sale. And uh, it, the pricing seems pretty fair. It's $33 for a bare bones, $40 uh, for one with a voltmeter, and then there's a few other options, and shipping's reasonable as well. So um, anybody that wants rapid fire for JAMA, definitely check this one out. Greg Collins is making some progress with his no-cut high-def nest mod, which is basically a center tray that allows you to mount the high-def nest kit without cutting anything. I think it looks great. I certainly wouldn't mind uh, raising the height of my nest so I wouldn't have to cut it. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I think it looks kind of cool like that. It has an LED in the front and then just the HDMI port and back. So I'll keep everybody updated and uh, hopefully have more picks soon. Microsoft just announced something kind of cool. The Xbox Adaptive Controller, which is a controller designed for people with disabilities that can't play on a normal controller with D-pad and buttons. 
It's going to be $100 and available this September. And I believe they worked with the group Warfighter Engaged a little bit. Um, that's a not-for-profit group that customizes controllers for vets with disabilities that are not able to use the normal style controllers. So I think they may have consulted a little bit or just gone back and forth with them. But either way, I think it's a really awesome thing for them to have come out with. Uh, and I'm really glad they reached out to people who I would consider experts in it. So um, thanks to Microsoft and Warfighter Engaged for really jumping on this way before anybody else did. Well, it looks like our cries for help were heard because somebody has just posted a 3D printed design for the brackets for those Datapath Vision car uh, capture cards that very often come with half-height brackets only. I had spoken to a few different people that worked at metal shops, all of which said it would be still be kind of expensive to produce in low volumes, maybe around $10 to $15. But these 3D printed plastic designs might be a lot cheaper. I'm really interested to see how they'll hold up though. Um, I know a lot of times you know, you got to screw in those DVI brackets and uh, they might put a lot of pressure on them. But either way, I'll be getting one soon to test and I'll let everybody know how it works. Someone just posted a video of a prototype they made called the Origin 17, a 17-port HDMI switch with a programmable touchscreen. So it looks really cool. You could actually type in the names of all the consoles, and that way you could just press whichever touchscreen button you want, which is a lot easier than printing out uh, you know, a cheat sheet and remembering what number it corresponds to it. I believe it's based off a design that has multiple switches in it wired together with a microcontroller. Um, and overall, it just seems like a really cool project. At the moment, there's no plans to make them because it would be pretty expensive, uh, but it's just something I wanted to show off, and um, I guess the maker also wanted to gauge interest in it as well. I think it's really awesome. Um, I've obviously been talking about different HDMI switches and been wanting one with a lot of features, but a 17-port touchscreen one is not what I expected. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. If anybody's interested, take a look at the link in the description. Some news on that AliExpress consoleized MVS. Dan, Citrus 3000 PSI, was able to test it and confirmed that the voltage coming out of the sync line was way too high. Um, he calculated that if you add a 620 ohm resistor to the output of the sync line, it could bring down the voltage to a safe level and you don't have to worry about killing your devices. He also was able to test the RGB lines and that is at a voltage that should be safe to use. So overall, it doesn't seem like those AliExpress uh, consoleized MVSs are the highest of quality, but at least if you add the correct resistor, it won't blow out your switches or any of your equipment. Well, that's it for this week, the first in my new place. Uh, hopefully the audio and video look good or in sync. Uh, hopefully there's not too much noise bleeding through the window because uh, I have all the siren screams and murders of New York City right here outside of me. But hopefully I'll get everything settled soon and I'll be able to start churning out a lot more videos because there's so much stuff I've been wanting to work on and just didn't have access to my stuff or the space to do it. So hopefully that'll kick back up soon and uh, you know maybe even the video quality will start to improve as well. But either way, thanks a lot for everybody for watching and as always, thank you so much to my Patreons for subscribing. I really couldn't do any of these without you. So thank you very much and I'll see you guys next week.